Welcome back, listeners, to the 50th episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. It's hard to believe that we can claim we have 50 episodes and what a journey it has been. Today will actually be our season finale. After today's episode, we will go on a brief break, but don't worry, we'll be back in 2023 with new episodes and programming for you. Members in the GMTA leadership and I have already been brainstorming ideas for new episodes, and we're really excited about our ideas and look forward to seeing them come to fruition. But enough of that. I'm also looking forward to speaking and learning more about our guest today. Giuliano Graniti is someone I met recently at the GPC conference in Tucson, Arizona. He gave a wonderful presentation about technology in the keyboard lab. So anyone who needs technological help, he's the one to ask. But let's not delay this conversation any longer. Let me welcome Giuliano Graniti to the podcast. Hello, Giuliano. Hello, thank you for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we are honored to have you here. Let's get started with a background question. Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. What I do is pretty easy to say. I am assistant professor of music at Middle Georgia State University and so happy for that. I got hired like one month ago and I already really love what I'm doing. I love working with my students and I hope they, they have the same feeling. <laughs> I hope this love is mutual. So I'm working hard for that. The uh, answer to how I got there, well, it's a little bit longer, so <laughs> I hope you're patient enough. Since it's my birthday, <laughs> it's the 34th birthday, so I, you can imagine it's a long run. Well, I started actually learning piano and playing when I was not even six, back in South and Italy, where I come from. I don't come from a family of musicians, just my aunt is a... Is a professional musician. She's a violin teacher in a middle school in Italy, but my parents are not. They're just very passionate about music. My mother has a passion for opera and my father for jazz, and I disappointed both, both of them by being a classical pianist who doesn't want to deal with opera. No, I'm kidding. All the singers are welcome. <laughs> so I started very young. My first teacher was kind of a trauma, as it happens sometimes, because I I was sent to lessons, not forced, just sent. I was curious anyway. And she tells me, she told me, well, can you read notes? Can you understand rhythm? Can you write on a music score? And I said, hey, I'm just five. I cannot even read books. How am I supposed to read notes, a language that I, I, I have never met in my life? And she said, this was the old traditional way back then. She said, oh, if you don't know how to read music, how can I give you piano lessons? So you better go and learn how to read music and then you can come back. Just try to ask this, the status to a, a five years old today. <laughs> no way. <laughs> they say, okay, I better go play basketball or whatever. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. It's right. So that's how I started. I started learning notes. I started taking piano. And since then, I never stopped. I took some degrees in Italy and Switzerland, probably the degree that pushed me to be a teacher more consistently is the piano pedagogy master's degree uh, I took in Lugano, Switzerland, where I not only found that I couldn't, I couldn't miss music in any uh, day of my life, but I also found a passion for teaching. And then I wanted to take a step forward. I came to U.S. I got admitted into University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, where I pursued my BMA. And I graduated just maybe four weeks ago. 
a little bit more, six weeks ago. Yes, I'm a doctor now. <laughs> That's it, and I'm here. Wow, congratulations first, happy birthday, and then congratulations on completing your doctorate. Thank you. So um, if we can take a few steps back, you talked about that very first teacher asking you if you could read music and saying, well, how can I teach you if you don't read music? Did you end up teaching yourself how to read music? Do you remember what that was like? Well, that was that was an important moment because it happened mainly when I was in, uh, in, in Switzerland. So I was already a, an adult student. It was my third master's degree because I took two one in piano performance and one in chamber music in Italy before. And all the students I had back then were um, uh, private students who already knew how to read music. But when I went to Switzerland and I started to uh, interface with kids, especially I had a five-year-old one, I had to find out how to teach them music without using the same approach of my first teacher, of course. I can't say at the beginning, I, I could feel powerless. I could feel I wasn't ready, but... I, I wasn't uh, understanding the power, the uh, ability of learning that very young kids have. If you don't approach to them with pure abstract and intellectual work, but you actually show them how to do something in practice, they will connect to the abstract work immediately. Mm -hmm. They don't need many rational explanation of what they are doing, but they need to enjoy what they're doing. And they, they will connect eventually to the intellectual abstract part of it. Uh, also, studying some, some hints of pedagogy and psychology helped me understand that according to the Piaget uh, stages of the, the development of the youth, it's impossible to tell a five-year-old kid learn how to read before playing and just pretending that that is an effective thing. That can bring, that is not effective because the kid would only memorize without actually finding any, any practical uh, outcome of what he is memorizing or she is memorizing. And and so uh, that brought me the thing that must have been a mistake in my former education. And I had to evolve from taking the good of that, but also evolving and just changing the bad of that. Yeah. Can you reflect a little more on your uh, musical education in Italy? How is it similar or perhaps more importantly, how is it different from what you see here in America? It was very different when I was young. Uh, when I was studying, there was the old traditional track. You entered, a, let's take, for example, the piano, a piano major. Um, in the Italian conservatory, a piano major could take 10 years of studies. 10 years was the actual traditional path, and I took that one. And uh, I started when I was 10. I entered the conservatory when I was 10, and I got out when I was 20 with my piano diploma which in this country is comparable to a bachelor's degree, more or less. So that's fascinating. Um, when you entered as a 10-year-old, was that a full-time school for you? Or was that like a extra outside of your academic schooling? It's a very good question. It was outside the traditional school. And it still is, um, I will maybe expand a little bit better later, but it was outside the traditional schools. And the two schools were not integrated at all. So when you do elementary school, it's fine. When you do middle school, it's fine because the, the workload is not so heavy. But when you enter high school in Italy, especially classical high school like Liceo, uh, classic Liceo, scientific Liceo, 
it becomes quite challenging to bring both schools together. And sometimes you might find conflicts between the teachers. I had high school teachers who told me, you're doing too much with music. You should give up that because you can't focus on, the, on your high school duties. The high school in Italy is mandatory. You have to do that no matter what. The conservatory is a choice. So that's if you don't have the real passion or if you don't have, like in my case, most importantly, uh, your family to support you morally and financially, well, it's possible many, many students with the old system would get just frustrated and would give up, many, many of them. Also, the difference, main difference, I think, that still today we, we have in Italy and in America is the approach to studying music. Italy has, is based on a very old system that was created during the early years of fascism. There was a big important law providing the structure of the conservatory and of the music education in Italy. And it was based on the creation of professionals, of professional performers. So everybody who entered a conservatory was required to, to go toward excellence in performing. I don't say that it doesn't happen in America or in other countries like Switzerland, but it's not the only thing. Because how many of how many pianists who enter a conservatory will actually become professional performance performers performing at Carnegie Hall or doing the, 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 the I don't know, Van Cliburn competition? Maybe 0.5%, 1%. So what do we do with the other 99%? The old system in Italy, in my opinion, created a sort of a frustrated 99% <laughs> who could even give up or find themselves not adequate, not enough for the performing career, while in other system uh, where music is more integrated with the core education, you create the citizen, the music citizen of the future, somebody who can take care of music events, somebody who can just feel the empty theaters when a music event takes place and could understand who is a good pianist, who is a bad pianist, what genre the pianist or style the pianist is playing. So here, and that's why also I came here to teach. There is a more rounded creation of music citizens. Somebody will be professional, somebody will be amateur, somebody will be just enjoying the music or working in art administration is more various. So uh, that leads me to think about and wonder about Italy as a culture. You know, uh, from American perspective, we assume that European, Italian culture has a deep love for music. And we're always moaning and complaining about how Americans don't appreciate, especially classical music. Uh, how would you describe the cultural reception for classical music in Italy? What I say, I don't want to diminish Italy. I love my country and I owe everything to my country and to the education I had there. So please, also for the audience, don't misunderstand me. <laughs> and if there is an Italian out there, don't, don't think I'm talking. Uh, bad about Italy in general. I'm talking that uh, the, about the paradox between the uh, quality of the culture, cultural heritage we have, and how the school system sometimes doesn't help it. So the cultural, the cultural reception in Italy, especially with the old system, now it's changing. It's changing for in in a good way, I think, as for the educational system. But the the cultural reception, people perceive classical music, especially as an elitist thing, as a thing for intellectuals, a thing I cannot reach, I cannot achieve, I cannot understand, because the music education is not part of the core education. Hmm. Uh, and that is creating a big gap from the past to the world of today. 
So we are actually living a little bit of the interest. I believe we are still in Italy, the first country for, uh, for opera, one of the first countries for music all over the world, but it will soon disappear if we don't provide the good background for everybody to understand what music is. Let me tell you something controversial. Uh, maybe somebody would be unhappy for this, but I, I really care of making it clear. Let's take uh, an amazing singer like Andrea Bocelli, for example. Everybody loves him. Um, he go and goes and sings everywhere and his voice is amazing. But there is the misunderstanding that he is an opera singer. And what I would like to address and clarify all the time is that and in Italy, especially, he is regarded as an opera singer. But if you compare him to Maria Callas, to Pavarotti, he's not, of course, an opera singer, just because of the medium he uses, the, for the technology he uses. Andrea Bocelli uses a microphone. An opera singer cannot use that because the, the technique of adapting you or your muscles to project the voice in opera is different. We are in that moment of history where this misunderstanding is even emphasized, is stressed by, the, by some, I don't know, marketing laws or anything in which we have to say that Andrea Bocelli is a great opera singer. He's not. He's one of the best singers in the world, just not an opera singer. What I complain about the Italian system, educational system, is that it's not providing the background to understand the difference between different things without a judgment what is better what is bad i'm not saying something is good something is bad they're just two different things mm. so if i can summarize it seems like there's not an opportunity or there aren't many opportunities for um, amateur music making and amateur music study just study for fun is that accurate it's very accurate mm. it's very accurate it is just an opportunity for professional music but and who doesn't want to do that or who give up on that because the school system doesn't provide the necessary support has just uh, brought to hate everything is professional music and so to not participate to the music community with a free heart and just for the fun of it as you just said. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one thing that this makes me realize, and we're constantly thinking about this, especially in higher ed, is how to uphold a standard, but also maintaining accessibility for people, right? We don't want to have set our standards so high that it does come across as elitist and exclusive. And so it seems like that's part of that struggle, setting up standards, but maintaining accessibility, finding that balance. So thank you so much for sharing that and providing that reflection. Now we're going to take a few steps back and go back into your childhood. Can you tell us what practicing was like for you as a child? Did your parents have to force you to do it or were you self-motivated? I was basically self-motivated. I cannot say I was spending when I was very, very young, when I was like before being teenager, I could not, I cannot say I was spending so much time at the piano. I wasn't that incredibly consistent student. My parents were never forcing me. I, I was a good school st student at school, elementary school, and I was a pretty good student at conservatory or at music and piano in general. Usually my mom was dealing with me for the school and my dad was dealing with me for the music. They just split some, some responsibilities, but they were never forcing me or pushing me. The only thing my dad did, and I will be thankful to him for, for, forever, for all my life, when he noticed that my uh, lack of practicing became from a kind of laziness, he would push me. But never when it came from a lack of interest. He would always, even not being a musician, he could always understand when I had lack of interest 
or when I had just normal laziness. When it was laziness, he would push me because he said, if you choose to do something, whatever you choose, I will support you. But if you choose to do anything, you have to do it. You have to put all yourself in it because you will regret later that you didn't. So it was, it was not actually pushing it was, or forcing. It was just a life lesson that I brought for my life. Yeah. How involved were your parents in your music education? Like, did your dad attend your lessons or was he just the one that was kind of watching over your practicing at home? Well, no, he was very involved. Uh, actually, the conservatory was, I would say, in kilometers, 50, 45 kilometers. That could be something like maybe something less than 30 miles away from my hometown. And he would spend even two or three or four times per week driving me to the lessons. He was not allowed to stay in the lessons at conservatory. I mean, he could be allowed, but I didn't want that. And my teacher didn't want that. So it, it was fine for me. It was okay. But he would be there all the time. He, I think that the amount of time he invested and my mother constantly, because she was at home providing for everything my, my dad could not do since he was with me. Uh, so the, what they both invested in time was crucial for my, for my education and also for giving me a good example how to take care of your kids, but eventually of your students when you see they really have um, a passion that they really want to do something. So he was there all the times, unless, uh, until I took my driver's license. Uh, at that moment, I said, okay, you can stay home. I would just, <laughs> just borrow your car and I go by on my own. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful tribute to your parents. Thank you for sharing that. Why are you a musician and teacher? Was there someone who was particularly influential in guiding you to this path? Oh, how many people were influential. And I'm not just talking about good influence, but also about bad influence. You learn from everything, right? So from the good things and from the bad things, how to not do something. <laughs> Why am I a musician? It's because from a certain age, and I would say in the late teenager, it became a necessity in a just conversation about memories my dad was reminding me how I would pretend to spend a time practicing piano on, on Christmas day after the big Christmas lunch celebration in, uh, in the south of Italy you can just imagine how much we eat on Christmas day <laughs> and after that after a couple of hours of having fun with the relatives and cousins and everything I would just say okay I need a couple of hours on the pian at the piano now and it just became a, a necessity something I couldn't miss for more than um, one day, two days, or sometimes hours. From that moment, of course, I, I decided that I wanted to be a musician in my life. About a teacher, I think I had a, a germ of it, a kind of embryo since forever, because my mom is a high school teacher. She teaches English literature in high school. And uh, in some way, this is not a criticism, but in some way, she brought some of the teacher's behavior in the house. <laughs> so there always was this atmosphere of teacher-student, also in their educational system, you know, and their mindset. And uh, even though I kind of refused to be a teacher until I was a little older, like 23 or 24, when I started teaching in Switzerland to support my studies there, I found out that I, it was a necessity as much as practicing piano, and I never, I never left it. Uh, it would be very hard to say why. It's probably a, a give back for what I learned. It can be just the satisfaction of seeing the faces of my students when they understand what I'm saying, or when I am clear enough to make them understand what I'm saying. And uh, 
every job I think has a part of a part that is not fun and the part that is fun. Probably preparing music theory class, preparing it, not music theory, but just preparing it is not as fun as performing and being in a jam session. <laughs> you know, it could be. It's just different. But delivering that class, that lecture, and seeing that they are getting what you're saying, you're on the same page, that makes it worth. So about the influential people where I have already mentioned my parents and I'm not going to be otherwise people say that I'm too stereotypical Italian <laughs> I always say about 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 mommy and daddy <laughs> it's not like that but it's true they were the most influential together with my little sister who of course had to be annoyed and bothered by my the, the focus on my musical activity and mm. so thanks to her also for her patience but my, all my teachers, I would say thank you to all my teachers, the most recent mentors that I had at CCM, but all of them and my, my old teachers, everybody had a specific feature that was the very high figure like international pianist who taught me how to make a package of the knowledge and the skill and to deliver to an audience. There was the other teacher was less performance based, but more like digging so deeply into every single note in the score. It was the other teacher was more about, yes, you are practicing a lot, but look what's outside here, what you can do outside here. Just try to earn also some soft skills that can help you in your career. Everybody had made this contribution to, my, to what I am now and what I'm gonna be. I think your answer leads really beautifully into our next question, which is how do you approach teaching? What is your teaching philosophy? I usually don't like to uh, rely on just one theory or one philosophy, but if I have to choose one, I think I try to be as flexible and adaptable as I can during my, in, in my teaching activity. I found some very interesting philosophy underneath the universal design of learning in which you emphasize exactly flexibility and variability so that each student can either corroborate the strength or fight the weaknesses with a kind of individual approach. And everything starts from understanding uh, and adapting uh, both what of learning, the how of learning, but especially the why of learning. I'm going to give a little example. When I was a TA at CCM, my student target were, I don't know, vocal major students the why of, uh, of teaching for them was pretty clear to their mind. It was a, just earning some piano skills to help them in their singing career. Pretty straightforward. Teaching at uh, MGA, Middle Georgia State, of course, brings to some different whys. If the how and the what can be similar, the why is different because the, the students at MGA, they're more concerned about the popular commercial contemporary music. So they have to build their skills in order to help their career uh, in um, songwriting, in uh, the music industry, in um, music administration, they need to be stimulated on other and motivated on other reasons why they're learning uh, a secondary dominant. When I teach them the Napoleon Six or the secondary dominant, I cannot just give examples of Mozart and Beethoven or Chopin or how they use that, but I also have to say, hey, you know that Britney Spears used the Napoleon Six. You know that Billy Joel has a lot of secondary dominance in his songs and just make connections. And this is all not just the how of teaching or the what, but it's especially creating the why. 
That's really wonderful. And I love that example because it does clarify as you were talking about your teaching philosophy and this importance of flexibility and variety. I was wondering how that really played out on a practical level. And I I love this approach because it, it seems like it is so different from that first piano teacher that you recounted and the system that you talked about in Italy that that you really kind of found your own voice and your own path as a teacher. Just as a point of clarification, can you tell us what uh, what is it that you teach at Middle Georgia? Um, is it applied piano theory? It seems like there's a mix of things that you teach. Yes, it's a bunch of things. Uh, thank you for this question. I teach applied piano and class piano. And uh, I also teach music theory. Uh, right now I have a uh, third and fourth part of the course, third and fourth semester. Um, of music theory, and I also teach oral skills. Oral skills. Usually connected to the to the music theory course. So whatever they do in music theory, I transfer it in oral skills. And also I teach uh, some special topics in music. That's where I have to, uh, I have to come up with a topic. I, I had to do it pretty fast because I was hired in the last days of July. So I didn't have much time to create a syllabus over the summer, but Considering the, the audience and the target that I had, just connecting to the previous question, instead of having a special topic in uh, the history of sonata form, which I love, <laughs> I absolutely love, I decided that for these students, it would be more beneficial to know more about, I don't know, history of Italian film music. And that's what I'm teaching right now. Uh, and it gives me the possibility to explore about opera. So just merging some classical knowledge with what they could actually use in their uh, in their activity. And one of the final projects will be a composition project of uh, background music for an Italian movie, uh, considering the different styles and influences and techniques that we have studied during the course. So well, back to flexibility. Yeah, that's really brilliant. And that sounds like a class that I would love to sit in on and learn. Now, what kind of resources do you use? Because it, uh, I mean, it sounds like you're creating this didn't exist before, really kind of out of thin air. And so you have to collect a lot of resources on your own. How do you find these resources so that you have something to present to your students? I, uh, I read a lot <laughs> and I listen to a lot of music. And I watch a lot of movies in this case. Basically, I use, I start from the, uh, the database that we all use for research. Talking about uh, Procast, uh, Realm, and this is something that every university offers. You know, you just access those databases and you find a lot of information. Uh, and during my very tough research class at CCM, when I came to, to US in 2018, I, I didn't actually take any specific English course. I could just speak from high school but not not really i didn't really have a good english especially in um for academic purposes and i started I, I i just decided even though all my friends were saying that i was crazy i started the first semester taking the graduate research class i i don't remember i've ever spent so many nights awake <laughs> in my life just to, to, to learn how to write how to read how to research and so I use that, that skills that I, that I earned during that class and I try to transfer that to my students. I have to say for the topic I chose, I am also a little lucky because I can read many documents in Italian. So I can find also documents in Italian to translate and to propose to my students in a translated and summarized version. 
And um, also there is a lot of observation. I, I don't pretend to have to do a film history class. There are other teachers who can do that better. But I try to put the, the music and the image in context with history, historical, political, social, cultural issues in Italy from the beginning of the 20th century until today. And it makes it interesting to them to, to see how the music could portray a certain cultural situation or political situation in Italy, fascism, uh, World War II, post-World War II, and everything. Hmm. I think we all, uh, university professors who are listening to this interview, need to find the timestamp where you talk about the music research class that you take, because I find that I have to tell my students that that class that they take, they don't take it from me. I don't I don't teach it. But, you know, it's it's heavy on work, but it's so worthwhile. It pays off in the long run for their history class, their theory class. And so we're all going to use that sound bite coming from you to prove our point. <laughs> Well, I'm happy. I'm always, uh, always be thankful. So I can name it Dr. Uh, Linford Scott, who was my, I think it was his first experience as a, a professor at CCM, a professor of that class. And uh, the, the commitment he had in uh, giving revisions and uh, comments on my bad assignments at the beginning, it was just incredible. He's, he actually gave me the insights and the knowledge that I will use for all my life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking about my research and bibliography class that I took, and there's no way I could have done my doctoral treatise without having taken that class. So absolutely. Now, uh, let's talk about any musical and pedagogical projects that you're currently working on. Well, you already know about one that I presented at GP3. Uh, I think I, that was a prototype of a new a lab system uh, based on open source technology and software and on internet instead of the usual mainstream wiring system used by traditional labs such as Yamaha Lab or Roland Lab. Um, my purpose is not actually uh, having a competition with this big multinational companies. That's not possible what I, what I can do. But it's just providing a system with, a, with another perspective. They emphasize their work on the quality of the piano instruments themselves, while my purpose is to provide the same features, if not sometimes uh, improved, of just more accessible or more flexible and expanded for uh, environments in school who can basically not afford several, several thousand dollars system like, like those ones, which are amazing. Don't don't. Don't take it wrong, but they are amazing. But I think uh, what COVID told, uh, told us is that we can run many things online. The internet is a primary resource like food today. So why don't we use it for also for the class piano? And I mean, as I said, if you want to know, if the audience wants to know more about that, they're always free to contact me. My, my, they just Google it and they will find my name and my email. Another project that I am uh, bringing to completion now is actually my DMA project. It was the arrangement for a solo piano of Prokofiev's Fifth Symphony. I completed the arrangement and I did an amateur recording of it, like a non-professional recording of it just for the completion of my DMA project to get my degree. But now that um, the transcription is completed and I have the music score, my next step is actually providing a professional recording. I'm already in contact with a couple of studios who are 
giving me a, a quote for, for recording it on a good piano and possibly publishing the music score. I couldn't do that before because until 2023, Prokofiev is still protected by copyright law. But uh, it will not be very soon. And I am already in contact with the uh, library service of Middle Georgia State and to, to get the support, uh, logistic support for the publication of this course. So it's a work in progress. That's brilliant. Um, can I talk, uh, can I ask you about this transcription? What level of student do you think it's appropriate? Like, is it your typical undergraduate? Does, is it really very difficult? Is it more fit for a graduate student? Or oh, <laughs> who would you recommend this for? <laughs> I would actually recommend for concert pianists. Uh, mm. I was always saying that while I was transcribing and arranging, I would always say, if you really need a good recording of it, you better call a better pianist. <laughs> because it came out quite difficult. The texture in the third movement is um, very thick. The tempo in the second and fourth movement is extreme. And it has a lot of technique that I believe a concert pianist can handle or some uh, very good master students as well, but people who are mostly directed toward a performer career, yes. I would can, say. We, can we stay in touch about this recording project that you're working on? Because I would love to hear it once you're done. Absolutely, yes, with pleasure. Yeah, okay, um, I'm, I'm going to kind of attempt to summarize what you talked about earlier in terms of your pedagogical project, because I, I was there for your presentation. So basically what you're doing, and correct me if I'm wrong, is um, using open source software that is already available on the internet to help teachers and institutions to create a keyboard lab that doesn't require all the bells and whistles in terms of like the hard wiring that you need to purchase from like Yamaha or Kawai in order to actually set up a keyboard lab. I remember you talking about being able to really use any type of keyboard to create this system in this lab. So uh, an institution who is on a budget crunch and doesn't have however much, and I remember in your presentation, you gave a quote for how much um, you setting up a Yamaha lab was, I can't remember, but it was way more money than I would ever have in my life. And a lot of institutions are looking at budget cuts if they don't have that money, but they do need to upgrade their keyboard lab. A lot of the software that you were talking about can be obtained at little to no cost. Is that an accurate summary? It's very accurate. Of course, they would have to pay for the, the, the hardware because there the are companies that say the hardware. But I was present, uh, as I was saying in my presentation, uh, everything is based on a mini single board, single board computer, the Raspberry Pi, that is very famous among uh, computer science people, but not famous among the musicians or, any other, uh, or in any other field. And it's like $55 and it works like a PC. Then there is a lot of, another bunch of very modular technology that of course an institution would have to, to buy. So the budget is needed for that. But the, all the software is open, used in the, in the system is open source. I just collected and organized it in a operating system based on Linux, which is my personal creation, but that is open source as well. And you can download it from GitHub, my, my GitHub page. So yes, everything, you are absolutely right in what you're saying. I just want to add one little thing, a system like that, and again, it's open source and it means that you can download it and improve it and modify it. And it's not Giuliano Granidi's lab anymore, it's your lab. 
that system also improves the remote teaching possibilities. For example, I know that in 2025, we're probably gonna face a little uh, drop in the enrollments. There is a study that is telling that because in 2025, uh, 2025 will be the freshman year for kids born in uh, 2008 when people were, were not making kids so much because of the crisis. So we will have a drop, especially in some states. I don't know if the South will be actually affected by that, maybe a little bit less than other states in the West or in the East. But anyway, we will have to face that. So getting enrollment and in improving our remote accessibility and remote teaching and getting enrollment for other states will be also crucial for the for uh, helping and supporting the financial status of our schools. Great. Well, thank you so much for your work on that. And thank you for clarifying my summary. I appreciate that. We're going to completely change directions. Tell me about your time in GMTA and MTNA. How did you hear about the organization and what has being part of this organization meant to you? Uh, by the time I got affiliated to GMTA, I had been already affiliated and to MTA for uh, maybe more than three years. So I actually came to Macon uh, in Georgia in January 2022. Yes, this year. Replaced, temporarily replaced a teacher who was on um, leave for medical reasons at Mercer University. So that's where I switched my affiliation from Ohio MTA, where I was before in Cincinnati to Georgia MTA. And so I'm pretty new and fresh uh, for Georgia MTA. I haven't actually yet applied for, 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 for events or conferences here because I was focused on my doctoral project and other, and other things going on. But I would start from now. I'm already searching. I had a student at Mercer who uh, participated in a competition at MGA under my supervision. So that, that's all the activity that I did. About MTNA, I was lucky to be at CCM because they have a very strong MTNA chapter there. Mm -hmm. So I got included in that chapter. I took that possibility and I started with a poster presentation in, I remember it was October or November 2018. So just three months after the beginning of my DMA career. And um, it was state conference in, uh, or symposium in Cleveland. And then I went on just trying to develop new topics, new pedagogical topics, piano literature topics. And that so far has been a great experience, not only because of course the obvious reason it's because you make connections, you know, people. But that, even if it's very obvious, it's not the only one, probably not even the most important one. Uh, what I got from MTNA is invaluable. I met people with different perspectives who provide new ideas or new methods on the same topics who opened my mind so much that I ended up becoming a researcher myself, feeling this need beyond teaching, beyond being a performer. And I started uh, not sleeping in the night, which is not necessarily positive, but while not sleeping, I could think, I don't know, 10 ideas every semester. In 10 ideas for future projects, seven were just bad. <laughs> uh, two were good, but uh, I didn't have enough background or knowledge to even start them. But one, that one was good. And what MTNA did with all the events, all the opportunities, all the connection was providing uh, invaluable support for that one idea that then became a good one. Mm -hmm. It became a project. So I'm extremely thankful and I will just continue my affiliation and uh, try to contribute as much as I can to the growth of this uh, association 
by participating to all the events and by involving my students to be a part of it. Yeah, I think one thing that I have been really impressed with in this conversation is your level of initiative and creativity. And so I think here in the state of Georgia, we're really fortunate to have you here. We're excited to have you as part of our organization. Well, thank you. I, I accept this compliment, even if I'm blushing. <laughs> So we are approaching our very last question. What are your plans for the near future, the next two to five years? Oh, how many? First, first thing is doing what I was called for at Middle Georgia State University. I was called for the renovation of the piano lab and on, on the group piano instruction in general. So to design the new path for the group piano instruction. And I'm very involved in that. Plus I'm renovating the lab who is not actually, not currently working properly. So I'm, I'm working on that using my system and, and the, that technology. I want to see my students graduating with a smile on their face and knowing what they want to do in their lives and music, that, that would be nice. Personally, I just bought a new car, <laughs> but this is, this, is, this is not even important. And uh, from a personal point of view, I have to mention that I probably like to be more stable and, uh, and have a family. I have my partner in life who is currently far from me. She's in Las Vegas. She's a music student as well, but we plan to be close very soon and to take the step forward in our life together. And I, I would like, since all this, I was so busy with my doctorate, I was so busy with many projects. So probably, and also COVID didn't help in the middle. So probably I slow down a little bit my performance activity and I, would, I want to start making it um, again, uh, one of my primary, primary activities. So I'm working on that right now. Well, Giuliano, it sounds like you're going to have a very busy two to five years, both professionally and personally. And we're so excited to have you here in Georgia so that we can look forward to your presentations and performances and be a part of your life, just like you will be part of our lives. Juliana, this has been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for opening up with me and our listeners about your perspective, about your upbringing, your reflections on your um, culture, your home culture of Italy and your experiences here in America. And thank you so much for being um, such an initiative taker and creative individual, not only for your students, but also for all the organizations that you are part of. This has been a really fun conversation and I look forward to seeing you around at our various state events. With that, I wish you happy teaching and happy students.